You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Yes, amen. An amazing atmosphere this morning. Um, so good to see you all here this morning in church. Uh, those joining us online, thank you so much for tracking with us uh, over all these long months. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 7. We're going to continue our season through the book of Mark as a church family. Um, we have the privilege and honor this morning of celebrating a life transformation through water baptism at the end of our service. So uh, just hold on to your seats. It's going to be an amazing morning. Um, just, just It's so good to gather with the family of God. We've been in this series, The Kingdom of God is Near. And Jesus introduced this banner over his ministry 2,000 years ago, declaring the kingdom of God is near, like the long-awaited hope of Israel. It's at hand. That's what he kept saying. It's near. It's here. It's at hand. And I want, to, I want you to picture Jesus stepping onto the scene into this you know, highly religious, highly uh, tense time in Israel's history, highly politicized time in, in Israel's history, stepping onto the scene and pointing at me, pointing at you, pointing at Jewish, listener, Jewish listeners and saying, the kingdom of God is here. And when he points at you or he points at me, it's like we're saying, the kingdom of God is, it's where? And he's like, the kingdom of God is here. And he's pointing again at you, he's pointing at me, he's pointing at the Jewish listeners. And again, they're like, the kingdom of God is where? I, I don't see it. Where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is here. He's pointing at us. That what it reminds me of is a classic road trip car game, which kids of this generation, they're just growing up not learning to play car games, right? I mean, it's like, I mean, we do it in our home too. We, we give them screens. Um, every once in a while, I, just, I say, we got to turn the screens off. Let's play some, you know, AB, the ABC game in, in, the, in the car. You know, have you guys ever played that? You play, you're looking for the letters, the alphabet, and license plates, and billboards. 20 questions. That can be a never-ending game with kids. Um, or I Spy, that's the classic. And that's what this reminds me of, is I Spy. I have this strategy with kids playing I Spy in the car. You do four or five rounds of it, finding something relatively easy in the car. Then by the fourth or fifth round, you choose something that they're wearing, something that's on them. And then they're just dumbfounded because they're looking all over the car, they can't find it. But then they forget to look inwardly, they forget to look at themselves and they realize, ah, it's on me. That's what this reminds me of, is the, the kingdom of God is here. And in religion... In our religious spirits, our prideful spirits, we're always looking externally. We're always looking at others. We're always looking at the facades, the superficialities, the externalities. And Jesus turned everything on head and revolutionized the world by stepping onto the scene and saying, the kingdom of God is here. And when he, when he says the kingdom of God is here, he, he means in the innermost recesses of our heart, the kingdom of God has come to rule and reign deep in our hearts. So we, we've talked about how the kingdom of God is, is near in the ordinary people, in the ordinary places. This morning, I want to talk about how, how Jesus came to introduce a kingdom that brings change in our lives. And if we capture this, how this will revolutionize how we view ourselves in relation to others and how we view others in relation to us. The kingdom of God is here. And that means that God wants to bring change starting on the inside. I want to set up this passage in Mark chapter 7. Jesus is stepping into centuries and centuries and centuries of, 
um, religious, or religious details and systems that were built up within Judaism outside of what Moses enacted through Torah. You know, the, the Jews, they have Torah, the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they would consider as the written law given to them by God, the commandments of God. But a few centuries before Jesus stepped on the scene, there were these group of scribes that took it upon themselves to figure out what, what, is it, what, is, what did Moses actually mean for the, the practical applications of these laws into our daily life? So they began to study those things and ponder those things, consider those details. And they began to create these traditions, these oral traditions. That's what became considered the oral tradition. And it was these ways of applying the commands of Moses to our day-to-day comings and goings, our day-to-day. It seems like a, a good thing. The problem was this oral tradition got passed down through the generations with such intricate, minute detail. It became like a, a yoke around the next of Jews. And, and we'll see here that Jesus, he refers to, to the traditions of the elders, the traditions of men. And he sets that apart from the commandments of Moses, or the commandments of God. They're two completely different things. We'll see Jesus calling out these scribes and these, these uh, legal experts. Eventually, this, this oral tradition actually did get written down. A few centuries after Jesus um, went to be with the Father. It got written down. It's now considered the Mishnah, or that's what it's known as the Mishnah. But let's read, let's read uh, Mark chapter 7 here. As Jesus calls out change in the innermost recesses of our heart, he says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees, and here's Mark's little commentary, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. There it is. Not the commandments of Moses, but the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. So here Mark delineates that. The traditions of men, the traditions of the elders from the commandments of God. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, verse 5, Why do you disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So religion pushes us to this place of judging by, by externals, by exteriors. And for them, this was not a matter, matter of hygiene. This was a matter of ceremonial purity. Uh, many times, the, the washings that they're talking about was, was a mere sprinkling. So we're not talking about um, microbiology here. We're not talking about... Um, hand, sanitize, hand sanitizing. We're talking about literally a ceremonial uh, cleansing that would take place over the dining couch or over the, the pots and the, the cups. And the, these scribes, these religious leaders, they were all worked up that Jesus and his disciples, they weren't following the, the traditions of the elders. And so he says in verse six, and he said to them, well, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your, your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother 
and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So Jesus calls them out for allowing the traditions of man to trump the commandments of God. And he uses this example specifically. It's one we're all familiar with. Honor your father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? You guys heard that one? Honor your father and mother. The spirit, is, the spirit of that is that we would honor our parents in our heart. I recently had this conversation with my kids because one of my kids asked me, Dad, I don't know why I disrespect my mom with my mouth. I'm like, that's because you disrespect her with your heart. It's true. <laughs> it's out of the overflow of our, of our mouth does our, our heart speak. We, when, we, when, we, when out comes dishonor and disrespect for others, we're propping ourselves up, are propping ourselves up over that person. We're valuing ourselves more than that person. And Jesus calls that out specifically with this example of this, this idea of Corbin. There was this idea that we, obviously they didn't have social security in, in uh, ancient Jerusalem. And so there was this idea that they would have a responsibility to, to care for the elder generation as they got up there in, in years with, with their resources. But it worked into the traditions of the elders was this idea that you could, you could call on Corbin or this, this idea that these gifts, this money, these, these resources are now given to God. They're set apart for God. But really what this was is a loophole. It was a loophole within the traditions of the elders to get around the simple, like the, the most basic ways to honor the generation that went before us by providing for them financially. And Jesus calls him out. He's like, this is silliness. At the heart of this command is to do what's necessary to honor your father and your mother. And he said, and many such things you do. And he called the people, this is verse 14, and he called the people to him again and he said to, said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. This is revolutionary. Like, this has never been taught before on the planet at this point. And when he had entered the house and he left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, meaning his figure of speech, the way he was talking. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Meaning the, the words that we, I mean, the, uh, the, the foods that we eat, the, um, the things that we touch with our hands. And he said to them, then are you also, oh, sorry. Um, they cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is revolutionary on the, on the face of the planet. That Jesus would turn all religious systems on head and he said, what I'm really concerned about is your heart. And it's out of the heart flows all of these wicked things. And so Jesus is bringing to our attention how different his kingdom is from all these forms of dead religion. It's not slightly different. It's not a subtle difference. It's completely other. His kingdom is completely other from all other religious systems. And one of the primary ways that is, is that he brings transformation from the inside out. The kingdom is near because he transforms us. 
And then he and then from that place of transformation, he calls us to walk, walk alongside others and experiencing that as well. And one thing I want to, I'm going to try to cram a lot in here in these next few moments, but one thing I want to set us free in uh, as a church is the spirit of judgmentalism, the spirit of religion that has hurt so many people. It caused so many offenses in hearts. This can set us all free from caring what other people think about us and what we think of other people in terms of pride and judgmentalism. Here are a few signs of dead religion that Jesus calls out that I'll just recap before we pivot. One is this question. Do we honor God with our lips but keep our hearts far from him? That's what Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah and said, this this description of ancient Israel still applies today. People are honoring me with their lips, but their hearts, they're keeping their hearts far from this holy God. And Jesus specifically calls them hypocrites. Maybe you've heard that 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 word hypocrite in the original Greek language comes from, the, from, comes from the idea of an actor or actress on a stage. I recently read in a dictionary, uh, a word study dictionary, that it could easily be translated one who answers according to the script. It's like you're just, you're just performing. There is no internal genuineness to it. You're simply going along with the script, what's expected of you to get along. We're faking it, hoping that we'll make it eventually. And Jesus calls it out. So this is an age-old problem. Honestly, this is the way of life in America. Far too many people just claim the idea of Christianity. They, they claim love and service to God, but it's with their lips only. God wants our hearts. And when Jesus stepped onto the scene, he said, the kingdom of God is here. He was pointing directly at me. He was pointing directly at you. And he was actually pointing deep into the inner recesses of your heart. He died to cleanse the deepest parts of your heart, which then results in outward transformation. Secondly, do we exalt traditions over God's commands? Jesus is drawing this huge chasm, this huge delineation between the traditions of the elders, the traditions of man, and the, the God's commands, like the preciousness of Torah. There's the spirit of the law that was meant to transform our hearts. But what, what happens is humans, we begin to tinker with it. And we begin to create interpretations of it that begin to be, be put a yoke upon ourselves and a yoke upon others. And so religion has a way of accumulating non-essentials with it that take us away and distract us from God's main aim of ruling and reigning in our hearts. Third is this. Do we concern ourselves with exterior change rather than interior change? Are we always just clenching our fists, hoping for outward change rather than on a daily basis rendering, rending our hearts before God and saying, God, I lay it all bare before you. Have your way in me. There really is something more for all of us, much more. It's the kingdom of God coming so intimately near into our lives and in my life, bringing change from the inside out. That is his aim for your life. That's his aim for my life. Are you tracking with me? That's us coming under the power of grace. It's extravagant. So I'm gonna pivot here. And then talk about how, I want, to, I want us to talk about how this revolutionizes 
how we, are, how we see ourselves in, in relationship to others in the body of Christ. Because I want to loose us from offense. I want to loose us from, from uh, spirit of judgmentalism that oftentimes comes into churches. This, this breaks us free from any of that. This revolution is how we, how we see ourselves in comparison to others. And revolution is how we see the, the love, the radical love of God and the depths of change that he wants to bring in our life. It's through these four words I want to summarize it. Over, under, inside out. Over, under, inside out. We no longer stand over anyone when we come under the grace of God. Because he's starting to bring a work from the inside out. We no longer stand over any, anyone when we come under the power of grace. And God starts a work from the inside out. In religion, you often think of that, that power um, difference of somebody standing over somebody else. St- somebody standing over somebody else in judgment. They are the purveyor of, of righteousness and obviously they don't measure up. And so there's this, this power and difference. That's not the way of the cross. It's not the way of the kingdom. You see, even Jesus, the most righteous being in the universe, what did he do when, he, when, when the, the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery before him? He got down there in the dirt with her and he wrote in the dirt. We still don't know what he wrote. But that's the way of the cross. It's the way of the kingdom. It's to get down with people, not stand over them. And the spirit of religion is this noose or this yoke of death to stand over somebody. And when we do that, we're realizing part of our heart has not come under the grace of God yet. There's part of us that's falling prey again to pride, to feel like we can stand over somebody else in judgment. There's one judge before all humanity. It's King Jesus. And so the kingdom is concerned with change in you. The kingdom is concerned with change in me. So imagine this. Imagine a Christianity where every person was fully surrendered to the implications of Christ's work in their life. People are ticked off. No, I'm just kidding. People are, people are, getting, ready. People are getting ready for water baptism. <laughs> Those falling online, people have left for water baptism. That's what they're doing. Uh, I'm really convicting people, and they're just like, ah, I got to get out of here. The kingdom of God is concerned with change in you. So imagine this. Like, imagine being in community with people where everybody is, like, fully, wholly surrendered to Christ and Christ alone. That's their biggest concern, is the thoroughness of Christ's work in them. So all of a sudden, we stop looking at everybody else, judging them. Oh, man, they got some real shortcomings. Like, like the speck in everybody else's eye doesn't be, does, isn't our biggest concern. Instead, it's the log in our eye. I felt like this was a, a powerful word spoken over us during this last week of prayer. We took this last week to turn out the noise of this world. And, and every night we gathered here as a church, and so many of you were a part of it. But the very first night, I thought it was profound that one of our, our staff came forward and, and spoke this word asking, are you fully surrendered? Because that is the way of the kingdom. It just so resonated with my heart that that was, that was just confirmed in my heart that that's such a scriptural understanding of the kingdom. Like we can be so concerned about everyone else and everything else even going on in this world, but what if the church 
was so like fiery, hot, like devoted and surrendered to Christ's way. That's the upside down way of the kingdom. It's the kingdom that calls us to die so that we live. We become great by becoming the servant of all. We become first by becoming last. So if we haven't experienced the change in our own lives, how in the world do we think we can help anybody else? Jesus calls it the blind leading the blind. And that was like one of the major indictments upon the religious leaders is they're trying to lead other people in this religious system of which they've never experienced in their own heart of hearts. It's the blind leading the blind. And so often in churches, that's what it becomes. It becomes about changing outward facades. Hey, here's the mask. This is what we do around here. Put the mask on and fake it. Don't deal with the heart. Don't look into my heart because I got all my own skeletons, my own closet. This is how Jesus calls out the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He says, woe to you. It's like shame on you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and selfish indulgence. Sorry. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. It's specifically talking about those ceremonial cleansing traditions again. They're so concerned with the externals of outsides of cups, and, but in, inwardly they're so full of greed and self-indulgence. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, this is why, I've said this before, but this is why as Christians, we should avoid saying church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. And if we, if we truly believe that, we should all get on our faces before God. We should, we should not be claiming that over us as the people of God. We do not want to be considered hypocrites. Some people say that I think is like a, and in, like their intention is to, to seem humble and say, oh yeah, we all got brokenness. We do all have brokenness, but I, I'm not going to call myself a hypocrite. <laughs> like hypocrites are, are not what, what, what Jesus has for his followers. Hypocrisy is, is a lack of genuineness, a lot, lack of authenticity, a lack of openness to God working a transformation deep in our hearts. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward because we're going to move into... Uh, time of baptism. So how do, we, how do we then come alongside people and contend for change in their life? Obviously, we're first and foremost concerned that God would do a work in our own hearts. But he did call us to live in community. So it's not like we're just living as a hermit, just us and God with no concern for other people. How do we walk and contend for change in other people's lives if we're first and foremost concerned with change in our lives? Well, here are three things. First, it looks like being motivated by love. Not ruling over them, but serving them. Coming next to people and calling them to something greater. It's what Jesus told the woman caught in adultery. He got down with her, and then, but then he said, go and sin no more. He's like, there's something better, there's a better way for you. And that is the, the way of hope, the way of the kingdom. It's compelled by love. You don't have to keep living the same way. So it's not shame on you, you should know better. It's, no, there, there's a better way. Second is this, it looks like going to the person directly. <laughs> you can know you're falling into religious pride when you're talking about somebody or so riled up in your mind about that person, but you never have the gall or the, the courage to go directly to that person. 
The way of the kingdom is to go to the person directly. And I know God is moving in our midst. Holy Spirit is moving in our midst when I hear of people reconciling between each other. I love it. Like that, that's like the true humility of Holy Spirit doing a deep, deep work in our hearts when he draws us to go directly to that person. I have an offense with you. I have a, I have a hurt. Or I'm, I'm really upset that you would do this. I thought, I thought you were past that and you actually go to the person instead of just thinking it in your head or standing in judgment over that person. Dead religion is passive aggressive. Dead religion is gossip. Dead religion wants to get revenge and doesn't want reconciliation. Everyone wants to be a part of a healthy church, right? Do you know how we create that? We start going to people directly. Third is this, it looks like dealing with the heart and not with exteriors. And so when we come alongside people and contend for change in their lives, it's not just teaching them to perform. Actually, it's not at all teaching them to perform. It's instead dealing with the heart. What's at the heart? And that was the revolutionary message that Jesus spoke in verse 21. For from within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, and so on. It's out of the heart. And so followers of Jesus, as we walk in this kingdom, we come alongside people, obviously fully surrendered ourselves and our heart, and then saying, hey, let's look at, our, let's look at the heart. What's going on in your heart that you need to then uh, deal with before God? So I want us to close this morning in two simple ways. Then we're gonna celebrate life transformation through water baptism. One is I wanted to give an opportunity for, for anybody in this place this morning to deal with offense because I, I briefly talked about that in the context of church. I know a lot of people have bitterness or resentment or hurt or offenses that they carry in relation to past experiences in the church. I wanna apologize for that, but I, wanted, I want you to know there's a better way. It's the way of the kingdom. And it's not that this is gonna be a perfect church, but there is a better way. Then I wanna give an opportunity for anybody in this place to surrender their lives to Christ. Revival starts here. Revival starts in my heart. It starts in your heart. It starts in our homes. Revival means impacting our church and our city, but it all starts in our heart of hearts. Would you all stand in this place? all bow your heads and close your eyes. As I was talking this morning, describing dead religion and people's hypocrisy or judgmentalism, you found yourself in a place of offense or bitterness or resentment as a result of the way people have treated you in the past. I want you to experience the grace of Jesus this morning. To be able to delineate what you've experienced in the past is not the way of the kingdom. It's not of God. And he wants to heal your heart this morning. If there's anybody here this morning and you'd say, Drew, I, I haven't, I've been carrying an offense, a bit of resentment towards the church or towards others or individuals, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for healing. Awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. So if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, I want to pray. And Pastor Tony even prophesied this earlier. There's just going to be a spirit of freedom this morning. God, this morning I speak that out over these individuals that have raised their hand. They've been hurt because people have stood in judgment over them. Spirit of condemnation. That's not of you. It's not of your kingdom. 
People of your kingdom, they, they get down low. And I'm not saying that we're perfect, but that's our intention is to get down low. because we know you're working a transformation from the inside out. So God, I pray that you'd wash over these individuals with the grace of God. That they'd see themselves submitted to the power of grace, but they'd also see those individuals or those experiences now also through the lens of of the grace of God. Or that they'd actually be broken They'd be broken in love and compassion for those individuals that have hurt them in the past. I just pray, allow them to experience real forgiveness, real freedom in the name of Jesus. Secondly, if you're here this morning and you need to surrender your life to Christ, you need to start a relationship with God. You've never done that before or you feel like this morning you need to get things right with God in a fresh way. I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I'm going to call you out or embarrass you. But I just want to know who I'm praying for. If you're here this morning and that's you, you say, Drew, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Did you raise your hand? Awesome. And if you're joining us online, there's going to be a number on the screen. You can text us telling us that you want to pray that prayer so we can reach out, with you, reach out to you. Is there anybody else? Okay, so if you raised your hand, or if you're joining us online and you want to pray this prayer, Surrender your life to Christ like this. Lord, this morning I come to the end of myself. I realize that dead religion is empty. I can't clean my life up on my own. I can't follow enough rules, jump through enough hoops. I can't do it, God. I come to the end of myself and I throw myself before you as savior of my life, savior of my soul, the only solution for my sin issue. I want to experience new life. I want to experience a new start. So God, wash me clean this morning. Forgive me in my ways. I'm gonna follow you the rest of my days. No turning back, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of me. No turning back. Amen. Let's give those that prayed, prayed that prayer a huge hand. been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.